reading from the scripture, chapter 25 of the book of Matthew, verses 14 through 30. Now, as I read this, this may be a little different from your uh, translations of the Bible. This is reading from the message. And I want to point out something before we go. This is the parable of the talent. And all of you are familiar with it. And most of us wonder why a talent was a big deal or five talents was a big deal. But in today's money, that would be a talent would be equivalent to around $1,000. So this is not just little change that we're talking about here. It's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He calls his servants together and delegates responsibilities. To one he gave $5,000, to another 2000 and to the third one 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left. Now right off, the first servant went to work and doubled the master's investment. The second did the same. But the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of these three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment, and his master commended him, good work, you did your job well. From now on, you will be one of my partners. The servant with the second 2000 showed him how he had also doubled his master's investment. And the master commended him, good work. You did your job well. From now on, you will also be one of my partners. The servant given 1000 said, Master, I knew that you had high standards and hate careless ways, that you demanded the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid that I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money, and here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. Well, the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to be cautious like that. If you knew that, after, that I was after the best, then why did you do less than the least? the least you could have done would be to have invested the sum with the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who at risk the most and get rid of it, play it safe, who wouldn't go out on a limb, throw him out into utter darkness. The word of God for the people of God. I recently read an article about a pastor of a Methodist church in Dallas, Texas, who had come to the conclusion of a service and was receiving three families into membership of the congregation. <clears throat> and the pastor reached that point, as all pastors do in the Methodist church, of the loyalty question. And he said, will you be loyal 
to the United Methodist Church and uphold it with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service. And he told them that the answer would be, I will. And so all the adults, they answered dutifully and somewhat retainly, like a lot of adults do, I will. But there was this five-year-old boy who looked remarkably like Dennis the Menace personified, shouted as loud as he could, I'll try. <laughs> well, the congregation applauded him, and the pastor doubled over with laughter and said that he had been in a ministry for 20 years, and this was probably the most honest answer he got to that question he had ever heard. With childlike innocence and honesty, that five-year-old boy said, I'll try. I'll try my best. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that's exactly what God asks us to do. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. He doesn't even demand that we're successful. God just asks us to be faithful. God calls us to try our best and then trust him to handle the rest. While serving as pastor of senior ministries at the Palmetto Methodist Church, I spent time visiting seniors, particularly those that were the sick and the shut-ins. And there's one individual that'll be forever etched in my mind, and her name was Marie Smith. She spent her days working in the church in a variety of tasks. She was involved with the food pantry and community feeding. She visited sick. She visited the shut-ins. She prepared food for those who had lost loved ones. If there was a job to be done, Marie was there. And I got to know her quite well with visits to her home during her last days in hospice care as she lay dying of lung cancer. There was no sorrow in her. There was no anger in her life as she faced those last days. But she told me that she had one regret, that she could not be doing those things she had done before, that she could not reach out to the others who were in need. But then she went on to say that she still could serve her Lord and Master by praying for them. Now, I know that as long as she had breath, she continued to use what talent she had left to serve Christ by the only means possible. She prayed for others. And to me, ladies and gentlemen, this is a fantastic, the fantastic positive attitude. This is a great positive faith that was being expressed. She refused to give up. She refused to give in. She kept her faith to the very end. Sometime long ago, she had made a commitment to Christ and to his church, a commitment where she said, I'll try. I'll try my very best, and she did. Psychologists tell us that as long as we live, we have two basic desires that are working against each other or doing a battle within our lives. 
One desire is when things get tough in life is to give up, to pull back, throw in the towel, just give it up and quit on life. The other is to keep on trying no matter what the cost, to move forward through struggle and effort and stretching and growing and to celebrating life. The call of the Christian is to move forward and embrace life. But sadly, far too many people seem to forget that. When faced with the struggles of life, they just simply fold up their tents and leave. They feel that life is too hard. They feel that life has dealt them a poor hand to play, a hand that's not so nearly favorable as others. And they quit. They refuse to try anymore. Jesus once told a parable of this kind of quiet tragedy. It's the parable that I read this morning called the parable of the talents. In a more contemporary name, it might be a parable of investments. Like all of his parables, it was a very simple story, but it has a very profound implications and lesson. And I'd like to look at this parable for a few moments. Once there was a well-to-do businessman who decided to take a trip, and that's how the story starts. The man had three associates, and he gave them a considerable amount of money. To one, he left five talents, which would be around $5,000 today. Another two talents of $2,000 is still another $1,000 or one talent. Now, he instructed these men to work with this money, to use the money, to invest the money in some appropriate, get some sort of appropriate return and profit. Now, sometime later, as the story goes, of course, that's this businessman returned from his travels, and he called for a report from his associates. First man, as the story went, had invested the money, and he'd done quite well. And the next man had invested his money and done quite well, and both of these individuals were complimented as a job well done. The third man had not even tried. He had done nothing but hide the money in the ground. His lack of imagination, his fear of failure, his lack of effort cost him dearly. Not only did he miss out on a promotion, not only did he lose all of his money, he lost the position itself. Fear, you see, is so costly. Not trying, quitting on life is so sad. This, this uh, one talented servant failed because he did not try for three reasons. First, he didn't appreciate what he had. Second, he didn't accept what he had. And third, he didn't use what he had. And so for the next few moments, I want to look at these three ideas. First, he didn't appreciate what he was given. I, I can just hear him. What? Only $1,000? I didn't get as much as the others. It's not fair. 
How can I hope to compete with them? It's not right, so I'm not going to play the game. I'll show them I'm not going to participate at all. The sounds of bitterness, apathy, ingratitude. He got $1,000, but he didn't appreciate it. In fact, he resented it because in his mind, it paled in comparison with what the other two got. J. Wallace Hamilton, in his book, Ride the Wild Horses, tells of a wonderful story about how easy it is to take for granted what we have. It's about a farmer who had lived the same farm all his life and was tired of it. He was bored of it. He inherited the farm from his parents and now he was miserable and desperately craved for the change. He subjected everything on this farm to his own miserable idea, <coughs> excuse me, idea and crave for a change. At last, he decided just simply to sell it and buy a new place. So he listed the farm with a real estate agent. The real estate agent came out and examined the property, wrote up an ad to put into the newspapers, but before he put it in the newspapers, he came out and read it to the farmer to make sure it was correct. And it went something like this, beautiful, spacious farmhouse, ideal location, excellent barn, good pastures, fertile soil, up-to-date equipment, well-bred stock, near town, near church, near good neighbors. Farmer says, wait a minute, read that again, but a little slower. So the real estate agent, beautiful, spacious farmhouse, ideal location, etc. Farmer said, I changed my mind. <laughs> Ain't going to sell. All my life, I've been looking for a place like this. <laughs> well, you know, I think we can relate to that. The farmer was living in a paradise and he didn't even know it. We live in the riches of life all around us, wherever we are. And so often our eyes fail to see them for the simple reasons that we magnify the difficulties. We overlook, <coughs> excuse me, we overlook the advantages and we fail to see the good that we really have. The one talent servant in Jesus' parable had this problem. And often, too often, I think, so do we. The servant failed because he didn't appreciate what he had, and he also failed because he didn't accept what he had. Jesus' parable reminds us that we can't always determine the size of our talents. That is, there are certain givens that we have to learn to live with, things that cannot be changed. And all the bitterness of the world cannot change the fact that this man had only one talent. This is what he was given. This is what he had to work with. And no energy, how much energy exposed, no matter how much we may wish it were otherwise, there are some things in our lives that we simply cannot change. And we have, life has its limits, and we need to learn to accept those. 
This is partly what the Adam-Eve story is about in the book of Genesis. God placed them in the garden. He gave them infinite possibilities. They could name the animals. They could subdue the animals. They could till the earth. They can enjoy all the wonderful works and the blessings of his creation. They could feast on the fruits of the lands. But they had one limitation. They were not to eat the fruit from one of the trees of the garden. It's almost as if that this was a reminder that they were not God, that they had some limits in their lives. There are some things we cannot do. There are some things we cannot change. We must all come to terms with the trees in our lives. Those of us who are five foot two cannot be six foot seven as a pro basketball player. Most of us will never run the four-minute mile, become Miss America, win an Olympic gold medal. Most of us will never be famous. Most of us will never be gorgeous. Most of us will never be ingenious. We cannot change the law of gravity. We cannot call back cruel words once we've already spoken them. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the aging process. We cannot eliminate death. Now, I could go on and on, pointing to numerous things in our lives that we cannot change. The real question is, how do we respond to the trees in the midst of our gardens? Some people spend their lives running away from them. Others just sit and complain and whine about their obstacles. That's what the one talented servant did. He tried to run away from his responsibilities of investing that talent. He hid the money to escape the pressure of responsibility. Some people play the if-only game. If I were only taller. If only I were smarter. If only I were richer. If only I had married someone else. If only I had taken a different direction in my career. If only I had that house or that car or that job. But you see, the if only game doesn't work. It only causes us to fail to face reality. And it leads to bitterness, misery, and self-pity. The Christian answer is the serenity of acceptance. This is what Jesus was doing in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed in Matthew 26, 39, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He knew what was ahead. He knew the pain, the agony, and the suffering that he had to bear. He knew that he would die under the weights of the sins of mankind. But he didn't stop there. He went on and praying, saying, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as you would have it. That is the serenity of acceptance. Sure, the last servant was less than the other three. He had less than the other three, but he had enough. He had enough to do something positive. He had something to do something meaningful, productive. He had enough to make a difference. But instead, he wouldn't accept what he had. He did nothing. And I wonder how often that happens to us. 
He failed first because he didn't appreciate what he had, and second because he didn't accept what he had. He also failed because he didn't use what he had. He didn't even try. He hid his talent. He was afraid of failure, and fear creates what it fears. The fear of war impels a country to take the very measures that often unleashes war. The fear of losing the love of a loved one provokes us to a lack of frankness, which often undermines that very love. A skier who falls, falls as soon as he begins to be afraid of falling. I'm simply saying that when we venture forward and try, when we appreciate and accept and use what we have, no matter what that talent may be, then great things can happen. On the other hand, if we give up our life on life, once we pull back into a hard shell and we vegetate in apathy, if we live in fear, then nothing good is going to happen to us and nothing's going to come our way. The servant with the one talent lost everything. He was given the opportunity to do something, but he did nothing. I don't think that it's coincidence that the parable of the sheep and the goats immediately follows the parable of the talent. The parable of sheep and goats for those who reached out to others, the giving of food to the hungry and water to the thirsty and clothing to the naked. Those who reached out and did something with their abilities, they were rewarded. Those who did nothing lost everything and were cast out away from Jesus. I think the point is clear. Don't wait. Do it now. Accept whatever limitations you have and use them to the fullest. If you have a word of love that needs to be expressed, say it now. If you have a broken relationship that ought to be fixed, go fix it. If you've been thinking about joining the choir, or helping the food pantry, or the thrift shop. Don't wait. Join up now. If you have a commitment that you need to make, no time better than right now. If you've been thinking about joining the church or committing your life to Christ, then let Pastor Chris know next week that is your intention. If you have something you need doing, seize the moment and do it now. In the back door sort of way, we learn from this parable the talent of a helpful and sensible formula for a victorious living, namely this. Appreciate what you have. Accept what you have. And with God's help, use what you have. Don't quit. Always at least try. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, through your Holy Spirit, run through us the fire to serve you in whatever way that we possibly can. Help us, O oh Lord, to at least try. Amen.